Let's get to the message. Uh, we are in our Ephesians series, and today we're going to be uh, in Ephesians 5, building a community of grace. And Ephesians 5, chapter, or verse 8, says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Now, before we memorize this, I want you to see, I didn't, this is not a typo. It doesn't say that you were once in darkness. That's not what Scripture says. It says you were once darkness, but you are now light in the Lord. The very core and identity. Because of who we are, there's different parts. We have different characteristics. What God has done for us is a crazy and amazing thing. We're going to talk about this today as well. But that passage has the ability to help us in our times of when we are struggling with darkness. When we are thinking about going back into those old ways. This is a, a wonderful verse to have just in, in our mind and, and part of our spirit to say, no, no, that's not who I am. And I've been called to bigger and better things. It helps us resist old temptations and to walk into a whole new life that God has for us. So, to help you continue memorizing that passage, in your bulletins there is a memory verse card. You could just take that out. It looks like a business card. You pull it out, put it in your pocket, or sure, your wallet, or anything like that where you're going to get to. And go through that at least once a day and re- remind yourself of this incredible truth. While you're doing that, you also, if you want to grab uh, the bi- your Bibles and open them up to Ephesians 5. And so that's where we are today. If uh, you have uh, one of our Bibles, then that's going to be on page 816. And if you don't have a Bible today, you can use one of ours. We've got plenty of them in the back there on the bookshelf. And if you need a Bible, just keep it. That's our gift to you. Um, And you can also take one of these awesome bookmarks, which is uh, really handy to find your space. So good stuff. Now, as you're looking for Ephesians 5, you're turning there. Let's just recap. So far in Ephesians, as we've gone up to this point, there's been two halves of Ephesians. The first half talks about what God has done for us, right? Everything he's equipped us with and, and position that he's given us so that the second half, which we entered, we kind of had that transition last week, we're moving into it, is what we get to do now in this new life that God has given us, right? So we found out so far that we are supplied by God as a community of grace. God is building a church and it is supplied by him. Everything we need, we have from him. We are founded in truth and we are unified in purity. That's kind of what, if we want to summarize the first parts of this. Now we find out today that we have all those things so that we can live a new and incredible life. God didn't just do all of this so that way we can just sit around and waste it. (laughs) There's a purpose for us. We have a mission. And he's done this because he didn't just save us from sickness so that we can go live a sick life. He saved us from horrible things so that we can live a much better life. And now he talks about what that is. And so for Ephesians 5 and on, Paul begins talking about this whole new life that God has for us. And he begins like a good painter. Um, have you ever seen that guy, Bob Ross, who paints on PBS? I love that. He always never has one tree because all everybody needs friends. I love that. Now, how he begins is he always paints the background first, right? With the big brush strokes, sets the, the scenery, the, 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 the atmosphere. That's kind of what Paul does with this, is he gives us the big brush strokes of this new life, how we're supposed to live in it. What does it mean? And so we get to that today, some big things, some big principles that we have for a new life in Christ. So hopefully that gave you plenty of time to get to Ephesians 5. Now that we are there, the first thing that we find that we're supposed to be in Christ is to be, this community of grace needs to be filled with love. Like, not just kind of like has a little bit of love in there, but like topped off. That's the environment in which the church is supposed to exist. That's the environment in which I'm supposed to exist in this world, right? That's how I'm supposed to be, a person that is filled with love. And it says right here in verse 5, actually let's go back to to the last verse of chapter 4 is it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. You see that he sets a principle there. We're doing this because Christ has done something for us. And then in verse 1, it says, so follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice for God. Do you see the pattern? Because of what God has done, all that stuff from the first couple chapters, everything that God has done for us, now we get to live in a new way. But not only that, we have been, God demonstrated what that new way looks like through Christ. He sets the example so we don't have to wonder what does righteousness look like. God 
put on flesh, became a man, lived amongst us so we can see what does it look like to live this good life. And so we have benefited from it, but we also can learn from it. And now we are called to follow him in it. It is a whole new life in Christ. And that life, as you see there, is one that is filled with love. In that verse, you will find the word love three times. In one verse, telling us how to live. It's God's example. Dearly loved children, (laughs) right? To walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us. It's so important for us to see as a a church that... uh, the way of the faith is a way that is marked deeply by love. In fact, it is saturated in it. What this means is you cannot have a healthy church that, that, that uh, if it is a church that is devoid of love. I had somebody email me not too long ago that says, um, you know, we're having a hard time finding a church because we know that there's a balance between uh, doctrine and, and grace. And so, you know, try to find the difference. between and I, and I feel so bad that they misunderstand in, in life, that there is a, there's, a, there's a conflict between doctrine and grace. It is our doctrine that leads us to live in grace. It is truth that allows us to love. That is why we get to love. Our hearts are transformed by our spirits because of Christ. Right? There is a way of love that we are to walk in. In Romans 12, 9, it says this, love must be sincere. Right? That, that, they can't be wishy-washy. I can't say to my wife, I love you, and then walk out the door and then go and have an affair. Right? It's got to be true. Love has to be connected. And so in that last part of that verse of 12, 8, it says this, love must be sincere, so hate what is evil and cling to what is good. We see that in this love that God has given us is a love that, that doesn't just call us to say, oh, well, everything is okay because everything is not okay. If I love something, by definition, that means I also have to hate other things, right? If I love my wife, I'm going to hate adultery. I will, because I love her, right? If I really love truth, then I'm going to hate things that aren't true, right? Like, if I love the Broncos, I'm going to hate the Chargers, (laughs) right? At least today. See, (laughs) if you love something... It means that you are compelled towards it. You're going to serve it. It's got to be sincere. And so we need to imitate Christ in his love. We need to love the right things, purity and truth. And that means in our life, if we really love God and we love one another, there are certain things that by nature we are also going to hate. And I know that's a scary thought in our tolerant society that we're supposed to tolerate everything. But I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things that we tolerate that kill people. And that's not loving at all. And so he goes into that. How are we going to be filled with this love? What are we supposed to love? Well, the first thing he says is, don't love like this world does. You don't, don't uh, resemble this world. Verse 3, it says, but amongst you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And then it goes on to say, nor there should be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Now, we stop right here because this verse has been used, misused by legalists throughout the ages to, to take the wonderful truth of God and to bludgeon people with it until they, they straighten up. That's not what this is saying. There are some people that say, well, no hint of immorality, you know, or anything like that, you know, then you have to make sure that your life, just do it about what the appearance is on the outside, Right? I remember when I was at that horrible law school that was so legalistic, and I went to this one place, I got a test, and driving in there, one of my fellow classmates had a really nice red sports car. It was pretty sweet. And drove in and had that car, and it was parked two cars away from mine because I had to borrow my mother-in-law's car because my car wouldn't make it to Oklahoma where they had the test or the, the training. So we go there, we park, and I was looking, like, oh, that's a nice car. We get inside, and at breakfast and at, uh, at lunch, we sat on the same table with him. And I will tell you that the, 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 the culture of that legalistic play, it was so awful. I remember one day we were sitting there at breakfast, and the, the young man who had this nice sports car was being accosted by all of the other people that are around him saying things like, you know, uh, why do you support speeding? 
I kid you not, that was their thing. Why do you support speeding and you're just a lawbreaker and all this? And he said, well, I would never speed because that's how legalistic they were. Like, I'm not proud of this, but I did speed a little bit getting to Oklahoma. (laughs) Okay. But he was like, no, I would never do such a thing, right? And he was like, why would you accuse me of that? They said, well, you have that red sports car. And so even though you may not be a speeder, it sure looks like you support that. Kid you not. Legalists love to use this passage to say, you don't line up with my understanding what righteousness is, and because you don't look a way that makes me comfortable, you, um, you have to straighten up. The Bible says so. Well, let's take the Bible in context, shall we? It says we're supposed to follow who? Christ's example. And who did Jesus hang out with? The worst of sinners, drunkards, and he hang out with prostitutes, and he hung out with all kinds of people of ill repute that the righteous people were so uncomfortable being around. He wasn't worried about his image. Christ was worried about righteousness, wasn't he? He was worried about their soul. Christ could be in a midst amongst the sinners, and he could let people think anything he wanted. He's like, you know what? Think of me as a drunkard if that's what it takes, but he never got drunk. But he was there. This is not about the image. This is not a call for legalists to bludgeon us into their image of what they think a good Christian should look like. But this is a very clear call for us to take a look at our own consciences, to look at our own life, and to say, am I living a life that is consistent with the calling that I have received? In my life, when I'm looking at it, are there hints of wickedness? Am I dipping my toe back into the dark old ways that I've been called from? That's what it's, this is what it's about, to follow the way of Christ. So it's a call to personal integrity, to live up to that which I know is true. Now when we do that, There are certain things that are just incompatible with the Christian life, aren't there? There are certain ways of living that we've been called from, dead ways of living. It says sexual immorality of any kind or any kind of impropriety or greed. Or how about this? Obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. They're out of place. And then it goes on to say something very terrifying. It says this. For of this you can be sure, in verse 5, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. So let no one deceive you with empty words, because such things, because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, don't be partners with them. That is terrifying, isn't it? This is the same guy that just a couple paragraphs before said it's by grace you have been saved through faith and this is a gift of god not of work so that no one can boast see if we want to take the word of god we can't just pick and choose which doctrines we want to hear you have been saved by grace through faith and it is a gift of god but you have been saved for good works there is a change of life that has to take place there is a culture of the kingdom and there's a culture of the world and you can't live in both and god has called us out of one and we need to so that we can live in the other and for some who would like to look at this and say, well, in my life, I have to make sure, am I, am I immoral, impure, greedy? Maybe that's all that's talking about. No, let me share some other places in Scripture. This is not a, a list that just goes on that says uh, this is uh, just the only place in life that you have these things. It says here in Galatians 5.19, here's another list that talks about this. It says, For the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, fits of ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, then drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. A different list, same heart. Or again, different, different apostle. Right, we, have here, we have 1 Corinthians 6.9, it says this, It says, or do you not know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is not an isolated doctrine in Scripture. It tells us very clearly in Scripture that if I have accepted Christ, I must reject this world. The issue isn't the sin, it The issue has to do with who's Lord in my life. How do I know that? Go back to Ephesians 5, verse 5. 
It says no immoral, impure, greedy person. I think it sums up all of these lists, right? Will inha- has inheritance in the kingdom of God. But what does it call that person? Such a person is an idolater. You see, the kingdom of God is open to all kinds of people, isn't it? Anyone who will come. The party is open to anybody. Right? But there's only room in the kingdom of heaven for one throne. And that is Christ's. And so we have to look in our life. See, if there are things in my life that are, that are having more sway, more authority in my life than Christ, then I'm an idolater, aren't I? What this does, it doesn't mean, it's not talking about the person who falls into sin. Even somebody who, who is struggling with the sin, maybe for years and decades, the same sin where they're struggling against it and they say, God, oh, I want to give this up, but I keep, you know, I lay it down and then I pick it back up again and I hate that. It's not talking about that. It's talking about the person that says, this sin is mine and God must accept it along with me. It's talking about do we identify with our sin? Do we, do we follow its commands, more the commands of our flesh, more than we follow Christ? That's the difference. How do I know this? Well, think about the Apostle Paul. This is the same guy who says, you know what? The things that I don't want to do are the things that I end up doing, right? And I hate that. And the things that I want to do are the things I find that I really can't do on my own, right? And he says, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who can save me from this body of death? But thanks be to Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, it's not so much that I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. We get that. All of us struggle with sin. If the Apostle Paul calls himself the worst of sinners, I mean, I don't even know what that makes me. But I know this, that every single one of us in this room struggles with sin, but the issue is there is we struggle with it. It's not that we fall into sin. Here's what's a wonderful passage that we find in, in 1 John. It says that, you know, if we claim to be without sin, we're a liar. Deceive ourselves. All of us struggle with sin. And John is talking to Christians, and it's the very first thing that we have to recognize is that we're sinners. We struggle, every single one of us, every single day. Not just occasionally, but habitually, don't we? And we lay down sins, and, and those t- a lot of times we can walk away from those, and a lot of times we pick them up. But here's what it also says in First John. This is what we do with that sin. It says that, that if we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He does both. So if I sin, I Call it what it is, a sin. It's not me, it's not mine, it's bad. And I don't want it, and sometimes I'm sinning because I do want to have that, but I recognize it's not compatible with my faith. So I confess it to God. And what does God do? He is faithful and just. He always does it, and it's the right thing for him to do, that he forgives me my sins. And then he does the next part as he begins to cleanse me of all of this unrighteousness. And he starts changing me. The issue in this passage is not, if you're a Christian, you struggle with sin. You're going to struggle with sin. The issue is this, are you making your sin your God? Are you identifying with it? Are you holding on to it and say, God, you must accept this because I'm not going to change. I disagree with your kingdom on this and I'm going I'm to do that. You're, if we do that, we're like the man who showed up at the king's party wearing his old dirty clothes. We've been called to a new kingdom. We've been called to take off that old way of life and to put on a new way of life and to put away the sin. Remember that? That's what we're talking about. Let no one be deceived. It matters how we live. And this is not a popular doctrine And it hasn't been a popular doctrine from the very beginning, which is why Paul says in that very next verse when he says that we can't just live however we want and continue to indulge in the old way of life and and continue that culture of death (laughs) and enter the kingdom. Then he says like this, so let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So don't be partners with them. 
right from the very beginning, there are people like me who really hate conflict. I have no joy going and bringing, like, when there's, like, church discipline, which is really just church love, me coming out to you and saying, listen, the Bible says this, you're living this way. I don't find any great joy in that. In fact, it terrifies me. It, I, I don't ever sit around thinking, oh, I get to tell them how to live their life. I don't want that. But I love people enough when I see that the way we're living is leading to death, I'm going to say something because I care about you. People will tell you it's grace and it's just grace and you can live however you want to and be in the kingdom of God are empty words. And at the end of the day, it is not my kingdom and it is not their kingdom and it's Christ's kingdom and he gets to decide what kind of culture is there. And we're not doing anybody any good by saying it just doesn't matter how you live. You live your life the way you want to live and I'll live my life the way I'm going to live. If I know that the way that you're living leads to death, it is not loving to just watch you walk over the cliff, is it? Or to encourage you to walk over the cliff? No. But I think even more in my own life, it takes this. To recognize this, I don't care what anybody else has ever told me about how much grace is going to cover just allowing me just to live willy-nilly however I want. I need to go to the Word. Here's where doctrine affects my life, doesn't it? This is not legalism, because look at what he's calling us from. He says that we don't want to be moral, impure, greedy, right? We don't live a life full of, of coarse, joking, sexual immorality or, or all those things. Foolish talk. Isn't that a horrible way of living? Isn't that an awful culture? Think about this. There's a, uh, say there's like a, a, a school that's got a lot of healthy kids in it and then one kid comes down with Ebola because it's bad. I don't really know what Ebola does, but I know it's bad because I see it on the news occasionally. And the school finds out that this kid has Ebola, and they're like, hmm, probably better not come to school today. Right? Bad thing. In fact, we, we're going to keep you out of it. Right? We're going to help you get better, but you can't come back to school until you're better. Right? Now, are they doing that because they're miserable, mean people? No, no, because they need to keep the purity of the school, right? It's for the effect of everything. You carry that disease in, and pretty soon it's all over everybody, and then everybody dies. It is not so different than that in the kingdom of God. Some people think that God is somehow weak, that he can't handle our sin, right? That we got sick in the spirit, and all of a sudden he's like, well, you can't be in my kingdom because I'm perfect, and you're not perfect, and I can't touch you. It's not that way at all. God's pretty tough. He can handle our sin. In fact, he nailed it to a cross, He's more than enough to handle sin. The issue is this. He created a a whole world, right? And he said, listen, I'm going to give you a choice. You can either do it my way or your way. And we said, we'll do it our way. Thank you very much. And what has happened in the world since then? Has it been awesome? Now God says, I invite you out of that. You can come into my kingdom. But the sickness that destroyed this world can't come with us, can it? And it is that that sin. It is me doing life my way. I'm going to be king of my life. It is like a bowl. It destroys, doesn't it? There is a quarantine in God's kingdom that keeps out this kind of, of idol worship. There is that one throne in heaven, and as long as we're Christians and we come together and we say, you know what, we follow one God and we're going to bend a knee to him and we're going to do things his way. Right? And if I mess up, I recognize that I'm the one messed up. I'm going to go to him for grace and forgiveness, and I'm going to allow him to help change me, and we're, we're in. right? But if we demand to be able to have entrance into the kingdom of God to change his culture and say, we should do things this way, <laughs> we don't get entrance. We're still sick, and we're still holding on to sickness. And the way that he called us out of, he called us out of like living like we had Ebola. Because it kills us. Sin kills us. It brings death to this world. Look how miserable this world is. There is warfare. There is pain. And everywhere we look, does it look like heaven? No. God has called us from a dead lifestyle to a good one. And not only did he call us to it, he's empowered us for it. That's that first two chapters, right? He's given us everything that we need to live this new lifestyle, this new culture. So we need to live in it. So we need to be filled with love. We need to be filled with a whole different kind of of life. But in that, we also then to be, as we're filled with love, we we need to then be, the next thing, live in this light. 
There's an old way, a dark way. And in Scripture, light and darkness are used oftentimes to describe um, some very, um, very true thing about reality. Light is talked about as truth and righteousness, right? Wisdom. These are understanding what is actually out there is light, okay? Doing things that aren't shameful, so like right things, that's light in Scripture. Darkness is quite the opposite. Right? Darkness is, is often described as is ignorance, not knowing, <laughs> What's, what's out there? So we live lives. It means like, it's like turning off the lights in this room and we'd all trip over chairs as we left, wouldn't we? Light makes a difference. Living in darkness, living without knowing what truth is, but still facing the consequences of reality. It's also wickedness, right? Doing what is not righteous, what is not good. And it says here that we're not supposed to be partners with darkness. Verse 8. He transfer, transfers us this idea and he tries to describe it in verse 8. He says this, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And I love how he does that. It's not that we used to live in the dark, although we did. We lived in the dark because we were dark ourselves. There was no lights amongst us as humans, right? We just went around, did what we thought was best, and what happened? Well, first off, the world became so awful that God flooded it and saved one family. That's how bad we messed things up. And we did it pretty quickly. And then we did it again. We decided, he said, all right, I save you. Now go and have this great life, populate, be multiple, you know, and, and, and subdue the earth, do great things. And then what did we do? We all got together and we built a big old tower and says, take that, God, we're going to protect ourselves from you. We li- again. And God finally he sends us a savior to save us because we can't live we cannot save ourselves and, and the way that we live is just darkness and we just do stupid things and the more humanity runs hu- humanity by human wisdom the worse things get and i think that the world and the news show that to be true doesn't it and so he says this you were once darkness that's what we were but look at this it's not just that we received light that god took us from darkness and put us in the light he actually changes us you were darkness now you are light but we didn't do it ourselves you were light in the lord so long as we're with god all of a sudden we change from darkness to light we change from those who were ignorant to those who actually have knowledge and wisdom right we can live life according to what's true what's actually real right we used to be those who lived in unrighteousness we did things that were wicked even though we thought they might be good and we've been transformed and now we know what truth is and now we have been empowered to live this way We've been set apart to actually do good things, to make a good mark in this world, to to live life with purpose that actually helps. You were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. So it says to live as children of the light. Our lifestyle needs to match our identity. And so then it goes on, it says, so, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. So have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Ah, this is an awesome thing that God tells us we're not supposed to partner with darkness anymore. Why do we have anything to do with that? He says partner with light. Partners also say partakers in Scripture. So sometimes in the word that talks about this, it says that we were partakers or partners with Christ in his sufferings in, in 1 Peter 4. But then later in 1 Peter, because we were partners with Christ in his suffering, we put our own lives to death. It says this, that we are also partakers with Christ's glory. You partner with Christ and you get both. You go through the difficult things, you lay down your life, you trust him, and then you get the glory, you get the good stuff. Uh, Hebrews 3, it says this, that we are partners with God in the heavenly calling, partners with Christ, like his same mission, that we get to be partners with Christ in this. And so that way, by the time we get to Hebrews 5, or Hebrews 12, it says this, that we're also partners with Christ in his holiness, that we get to be set apart. Now think how, what a great thing this is, being set apart. If you were on the Titanic, the Titanic was not doing a great, you know, after it floats around and hits the ice cube, right? It starts sinking. Big problem, right? And that's the majority of the people are on that. But if you got set apart and got put on a lifeboat, you were holy. <laughs> Things went better for you, didn't you? We are partners with Christ in his calling so that we can be partners with him in, in, in this holiness, being set apart, this whole new world, a whole new culture that is so different than ours. You know what there's never going to be in heaven? An election. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, right there. 
So we are supposed to live in this light, be partnered not with darkness, but with light. And it says that if we do that, we, we receive these fruits in our spirit, right? And it says that the fruits of this are, are all kinds of great things. They're not bad. Do it, please. I have nothing to do with those things. For, um, but it says that we're going to have uh, righteousness and goodness and truth, right? And in a verse 8, and verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Think about a tree when it produces fruit. Does it ever just sit there? You ever hear a tree straining like, make an apple, and it makes an apple? No. Apples just grow. You know what a tree does? It puts effort into something. It digs its roots down deep till it finds good nutrients, and it, and it spans its branches out and grows, grows leaves. So it gets the nutrients from the sun, and as so long as it's rooted right and it's and it's and it's getting nutrients from the sun, guess what's going to happen? Fruit. Fruit's just going to happen. Apple tree is going to bear apples. That's what's going to happen. It's the same thing in our life. You want goodness and righteousness and truth in your life. You don't have to try to be a good person or a righteous person, right? So frustrating for us sometimes when we try to add those things. We try to so much effort to grow the fruit. No, no. Connect with God. Start loving him. Love God. Be filled with love. And when you love God, you know, that means we're going to hate those old ways of life. We're going to live a whole different way. And part of that means that I'm going to actually start loving and caring for other people. I'm going to start being, I'm going to stop being so self-centered. And I'm going to start being God-centered, which allows me to see other people's needs and to care for others. You know what happens? Goodness. And righteousness and love start just appearing in my life. You know, that's actually a small list. Another place in the scriptures it says other fruits of the Spirit. Actually, this is the wrong one. Let me go to the next one. It says, For the fruits of the Spirit of this is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And against such thing there is no law. Isn't that awesome? That's what I want to have in my life. That's the culture of heaven. That's why he says, God says, don't, I'm not adding in this culture of this world. I don't want that in my kingdom. So don't be partners with it. Be partners with me. Start living my way. Start surrendering your life to mine. And this is what we get into our life. Wouldn't you rather live in a society that is marked by love and joy and peace, patience and gentleness and kindness and goodness, self-control? I mean, wouldn't this be a great thing? Can you imagine what our debates would be like if that was the culture? Wouldn't it be awesome if those were in you? Just naturally, the fruits of your life, you just find that you just grow and you're a more and more loving person. They just naturally, regardless of what others do, you are a loving person. There's fruits of love in your life and joy. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. All of a sudden, there's an optimistic outlook because you know who the Lord is. Or there's peace in your life regardless of the storm. And it may not make sense to anybody It's a peace that surpasses understanding, but it's true in you. And you're not rocked by the craziness of this life and this world and you have stability. Or you find that you become more and more kind and you you stop losing your temper and being nasty to people and all of a sudden, just more naturally, you start to be kind to others. Don't you want that? Faithfulness and trusting God more and more in your, your everyday life to be true to who you are. How about this, that gentleness to not be demanding but just know that there's this gentleness about you that, that be, starts to permeate who you are. How about self-control to no longer be, be owned by your, the temptations? No longer be owned by your addictions or no longer be owned by, by your, your personality, right? That just makes you want to be a certain way. But all of a sudden, it's like, no, there is control. I have power over myself. And I can make a difference in this world. Isn't, isn't that a much better way of living? That's why it says under there, there's no law against it. It's a good way of living. There's no laws against buying people birthday presents, right? No laws against being nice to kids, right? Why? Because they're good things. We only put laws against bad things in the kingdom of heaven. We, we've been saved from the law, right? The law we were condemned by, and Jesus took that punishment. And now we get to live a life where there doesn't even need to be a law against it. How cool is that? That's the kingdom we're going to. That's the kingdom we're part of. That's the kingdom we're called to start living out now. The light is, is good. That's one of the reasons we want to live in the light. God is not telling us a burdensome, horrible way of living. He's saying stop living a sick, horrible way that makes you miserable and start living a new life that brings joy and all kinds of great things. 
Yeah, you have to surrender and sacrifice a bunch of old dead ways, but look at what you gain. Are you really giving up that much? Not only that is the light good, and it's a great thing, but we find in 1 John this, though it says this, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him there's no darkness. Not at all. Isn't it cool to know that the kingdom that we are going to, that our God actually has those qualities intrinsically and just who he is? He is light. He is wisdom and he is love and he is goodness and he is righteousness. He always does what is right. There's never going to be a heavenly scandal. How cool is that? God is light. It is an amazing thing for us to know that our God is not some big power-hungry being up there that just wants to control us just because he wants to control us. He's a loving, wonderful God. And what he calls us to are great things. My wife and I, once we had Thomas, gained a whole new concept of, of, of law in Scripture. I used to think of law like, like the government has laws to tell me I can only drive 25 and really 35 would be fine. Right? It's just there to keep you from, from getting right. It's just burdensome. But all of a sudden, I realized that when God tells me to do something, it's not for his benefit, but mine. Just like when I tell my son to do something, it's for his benefit, not mine. All right, so when I tell my son, listen, you've got to learn how to you know, do the dishes. That's so that in his life, he's not a slob. Right? You've got to learn how to fold your clothes so he knows how to take care of himself. You've got to learn to have a good work ethic, right? I don't do that to be mean. I do that because I love him. When I tell him he's got to honor his mom and speak nice to her because I want him to honor women in his life and know how to respect them. Right? I don't tell him to do horrible things. Now, he thinks they're horrible sometimes. <laughs> doesn't he? But when I recognize what Scripture is telling me, God is telling me how to live a better life for my benefit, for our benefit. Why would I partner with darkness? And so in 1 John, it says, God is light. In him, there's no darkness. He's telling us to be true to who he is. He's got a good culture. But you know what? It says this, if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. You can't have it both ways. You can't say, I am a Christian, and yet I'm going to live this lifestyle that is completely incompatible with what God's kingdom has. Do you see that? So that is a lie. It is absolutely not true. It is darkness itself, isn't it? So what goes on is say, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. That's where that peace and that joy and all that love comes in, right? And get this, we have fellowship with one another. Why? Because we walk in the light? Because we're so righteous, then we, get, we deserve to be there? No, we have fellowship with one another as the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sins. We're not there because we're perfect. We're not there because we're law-abiders. We're just saying, God, we're going to start living your kingdom. We're going to bow knee to you. We're going to say, your culture and not ours. We're going to live our life accordingly. We're going to trust that you maybe you know better, and we want to live in the light. And as we do that and we mess up, guess what happens? The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us of all sins. It doesn't just save us from those sins. It doesn't just forgive us of the sins. It purifies us. God changes us from the inside out. That's that whole fruits of the Spirit we're talking about, right? It's a change of identity, of being. And then we find here in verse 11, uh, as we, we see here, it says, Have nothing to do then, with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. I want you to see that the light doesn't just uh, illuminate. The first thing the light does is illuminates, right? So like I said last week, we're not called to transform culture, right? That's not why we're here. We're not even to be a counterculture. We are, we are set apart to a whole new culture in Christ. That doesn't mean to be apathetic, not to vote or anything like that. Light exposes darkness, doesn't it? Christians, church, we are a blessing of God to this world. We are a light to the world. And so many people live in darkness and they don't even know it's darkness. And they stumble about and their lives get ruined and they don't know why. It's not that we live in a different truth than they do. We can just see what truth is because God's revealed it. That's why, Christians, we ought to be engaged in our culture. I tell you what, the best way to, to expose the truth about how family has been destroyed in my culture is to start living with a good family. For me to be a good husband and a father. Right? Because of my neighbors who live a different way and think that's a good way of living and they see their lives falling apart and they don't know why and they can see my family and they can see that it's strong and maybe not perfect but filled with love and all this kind of stuff, they can see the difference. Do you see? When, when I'm at work and I start to be forgiving, right? 
and I start to be kind and other-centered, not just self-centered, it's not just about me, doesn't that begin to expose selfishness? It does. You are light. So live like it. And as we do that, the brokenness of this world will be exposed. And as it's exposed, the hope of Christ, we need to share it, right? I think that uh, we have uh, an amazing thing with First John. It talks about this, that God sees us as we are, and then he accepts us as we are, and then he changes who we are. First John uh, yeah, 3.19, it should be First John, says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into light. Why? For their fear, or fear that their evil deeds will be exposed. Isn't it true? There's often times that Christianity is suppressed not because it doesn't do good things, it's because people want to live their own way. I want to keep going out and getting drunk and doing my parties or, or living with so-and-so or, or you know, watching whatever I want on, on the internet or whatever it is. Right? I want to live my way and I don't want you to impinge upon that. And even if we don't tell them not to do it, they're like, you live a different way. It makes me feel bad. And it's because of fear. Where's the fear? Well, I think it starts with guilt. We just know that it's broken and it's not right. In other places in 1 John, it says this, that there is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears hasn't been made perfect in love. Here's the thing. We don't have to fear God, do we? Because we can't be punished by God anymore. Do you understand that? Our Sins were, were put on the cross. Jesus paid the price for them. He was punished for that. It's not right for God to punish us. Now, he'll discipline us. He'll raise us up to standard, right, as, as children. But we can't be punished anymore. Here's the thing for, for us as Christians. When I sin, right, when I darkens my life a little bit, the last thing I want to do is go near God, right? I want to hide. Like somehow he doesn't know. And if I stay away from him, then maybe he won't know what I did and I won't be embarrassed. But the reality is he's the one I need to go to most, because he's not going to punish me. He's going to help me. See, when I sin and I fall short, I need to go back to God and say, ah, I did it again, right? And what does he do? He's a loving father and he changes us. He transforms us, right? That's what he does. So we don't have to live in that awful way. I remember when Thomas was a little boy and, and we told him, don't go outside because it was raining. Don't go outside right now because mom just mopped the floors and everything and stuff clean and all that. And he goes outside and he falls down in a, in a puddle, right? And so now he's cold, but he didn't want to come and talk to us about that. So we found him a little while later, all muddy and shivery, <laughs> right? Just miserable, and I was like, dude, come to us. We'll warm you up. We'll get you some clean clothes. Now I'm going to talk about how, why you're supposed to listen to me. Okay? But he was far happier after he came to me than before when he was shivering hiding. Fear has to do with punishment. And a lot of people in this world fear God. But the thing is, God, the light of the truth is that it's not just that it exposes our brokenness, but it also exposes the truth of his character and his love and his mercy. God will come and he will take care of us. That's why it says here that whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. So that it may be plainly seen that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. God already knows. He already loves you. He's inviting you into his kingdom. And he says, you know what? I'm going to transform you. I'm going to take you in your brokenness and I'm going to make you somebody new. I'm going to give you hope and peace, but I'm going to transform that brokenness from the inside out. Come to God. Live in the light. You know what this means? This means for us that there's no more guilt in Christ. That I don't have to be like just filled with shame because I've fallen short. He knows I've fallen short, but he says, step away from that. Give up that lifestyle and, and that old dead way of living. But there's no more shame. I can come to him and he will transform me. It means there's no more hiding. I don't have to hide from God anymore. I don't have to do awful things and feel like, well, then the last place I can go is church. No, when I messed up, the first place I need to go is back to God because I need God to transform me and to clean me up and to make my life right. It means there's no more running. We can just rest in Christ. I think it's an amazing way to be. So in verses 11 through 14 then it says, it says this, it says that, uh, well, sorry, verse 13, but everything is exposed by the light becomes visible and everything is illuminated becomes light. Do you see that? He transforms us. God doesn't just reveal what light is. 
It just doesn't illuminate, it transforms. When God's light comes into our life, it changes us so that we can become children of light. So then it says, this is why it says, wake up, sleeper, and rise from the dead. Christ and Christ will shine on you. You know, it was an old hymn that was saying when people were baptized, when they came to faith, all those millennia ago, what a wonderful thing, saying you came out of death, now you are alive. It's just like when you wake up in the morning, those sunbeams hit your eyes and you just naturally want to wake up and how hard it is just to like stay in bed forever. Right? Wake up, there's a whole new life to be living. And that's what he's called us to. So what do we do with this? Verse 15, we need to be wise. Walk in wisdom. Be very careful, it says, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. It means to take a look at our life and to say, am I living in darkness? Am I still following that old way? Or am I putting that to death and following Christ? Are there obvious things that I'm clinging to that are not compatible with the kingdom of God? I need to get rid of those. Why? Because it says... The days are evil. Making the most of the opportunity because the days are evil. You know what that means? It means this. The enemy is in charge of this world. We expect the world to be broken, right? We expect it to be painful, right? But we aren't part of this world anymore. And now, while that is great, and I pray for Jesus to come every day, that is a little bit of a selfish prayer because the majority of the people around me still live in darkness. And if Christ came back today, what would happen to them? There is a short period of time where I exist in this world and whilst I exist in this world, I can either live a selfish life that is taking my light and putting it under a basket and saying, oh, how great my life is with Christ while everybody else perishes. Or I can make my life matter. I can go and serve other people in love. I can care for them. I can make a difference in my community and I can share Christ, not just with my words, but also with my, the very way that I live so that those who are living in brokenness, who find themselves slaves to the idols of their life, of their pleasures, can be set free. So that those who live with hostility between them and God and with shame in their hearts, those who live with brokenness and pain can be made well and whole and accepted in God's kingdom. That's what I have the chance to do. And I have a short period of time to do that, and so do you. So we live this new life not just for us, do we? We're wise. We make the most of this opportunity so that when Christ comes back and we have that wonderful final interview with him, right? That exit interview from the earth. And he says to us, show me what you've done with this life that I've gifted you with. We can say, oh, well, I wasn't perfect, but I certainly invested mightily in your kingdom, right? That's what we had the chance to do. So how do we put this into practice? Well, I would say this is a very applicable verse. In fact, next week, too, as it goes even to more detail. And I tell you what, it gets more and more intrusive into our life because uh, it gets more and more, uh, uh, like I said, there's more detail as to how Christ wants us to live. So these are big strokes today that we're supposed to live in love, right? Uh, Be filled with love and live in the light. How do we apply that? Well, here's some things on the back of your connection card. You pull that out, some things that I think can help us with that this week. The first one is to memorize Ephesians 5.8. Right? Memorize this. Why? Because you were darkness. Right? That's what you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So live as children of the light. I think that's awesome. What a powerful thing. What a reminder when I'm tempted to go back into the old ways of living or if I'm going to confront a lifestyle sin that I've, that I've clung to too much, I can be reminded of the truth of God, that I was once darkness. That's, that's what I've been called from, but now I am different. Not just that I can live different, not just God transformed me from where I, you know, my environment. He's changed me. And I should partner with that no more. Live as children of light. What a powerful passage. What a reminder of our identity. Memorize that. How about this? Why don't you read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 17. That's what we talked about today. If you want to read the rest of the chapter, that's fine. Just get a preview for next week. So yay for you. Um, But maybe read that this week. I preached on it. There's no substitute for actually reading the word of God yourself. So go to it and read it this week. I encourage you to do that. Also, Maybe for you, this is your challenge. You need to put away darkness. You're holding on. You're living a lifestyle. You're living a certain way that you know is incompatible with God and you felt bad about it for long enough. Stop running from God and go to him and just confess it, (laughs) right? Ask him for the courage to lay it down. Walk away from it. And you know what? You may go back and pick it up later and then you're going to have to set it down again. That's usually what happens with sin. It's not usually, very rarely is it a one and done thing. But I'm going to tell you, set it down. I can't encourage you strong enough in this because it's empty words for me to tell you things are okay whilst you hold on to a sin that is habitual, that is part of your life, that is 
that is now a lifestyle, that is be, has an idle place in your life, that is not a safe place to be. Lay it down. Walk away from it. And if I can help you with that, please let me know. Because that's one of the things that I love to do. Not to sit in judgment over you or anything like this, but just to help. Because I know how hard it is to do that. So let's walk away from, put away darkness. And maybe that's your challenge this week. Or maybe the other challenge is to walk in the light. See, God didn't just call us away from things. He didn't just say no. He called us to something much greater, didn't he? And so for maybe for you, walking in the light begins with just going to God and saying, God, I want to do things your way, and I don't quite know everything that it is, but so yeah, I need you to help me. And that means getting into the Word, maybe. It's, it's being part of a church fellowship. It's, it's beginning to take the walk. And, and remember, it's a walk. It's not like it's just like a teleportation, right? It's a walk. So you're not going to be perfect at first, but you take those steps in Christ, and you say, all right, God, today I can do this one thing faithfully, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to follow you because you're my Lord. Maybe that's what you need to do. If I can help you with that, you need some guidance in either of those, uh, come talk with me. I would be thrilled to meet with you and to help, I, help you out. Also, if there's something else that you've been called to, another commitment, please let us know. Um, so um, I can be praying for you, support you with that. If you have another commitment tonight, let us know. Also, if you have a prayer request, please write those down um, because I do pray for you every week and if I know how to pray for you, uh, it certainly makes it a lot better. Otherwise, you just get more of a general prayer or something that I just know about you. So let me know how to pray for you. Write that down here in a minute. We're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, take these along with, uh, remember it's our fifth Sunday too, so if you have your envelope for the fifth Sunday, drop those all into the offering basket as they're passed. Uh, make that an offering of yourself to God. All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for being amazing. Thank you for being powerful. Thank you for being good. Thank you that you are light and that in you there is no darkness, that you're not shady even in the slightest. And Father, that you have somehow loved us enough uh, that you invited us in to live that whole new way. Forgive us for creating this world of darkness. Father, for creating these individual lives of darkness. And Lord, I pray that to, just as you said in your word, if we come to you who are faithful, just you'll forgive us, but you will also cleanse us. Father, if there are those of us here who have idols in our life, let us knock them off of the throne that belongs to you. Give us the courage to do that. Give us no rest in our spirit until we do so we know that we are fully yours. Father, I pray as we do that, you would fill us with the love of Christ and, and uh, that's a love that is that's first and foremost for you, that desires your will because you are good. But Father, it also it, it bleeds over into the ways that we care for other people, Father. And as we love you and we love others, Father, may the fruits of, of all those good things that we read in Scripture be true in our lives and in this church. And as you do this, Father, I pray that your kingdom will be built in us, Father, as it is built in this community. And so that so many who live in darkness now will see the light of truth in Christ, that they will see forgiveness and healing and hope in Christ, a whole new way of living. And Father, that their lives will be transformed, not just in the end, but also now. Be benefited because of your presence in our community, in our culture, in our church. Lord, we also want to pray for not just the commitments that are made, but also for the tithes and the gifts. Father, thank you that we can always invest in your kingdom, that you give us the right and the ability to do that. Please take these investments, Father, and, and multiply them for your glory, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.